Karina, hi. Hello, Holly. Welcome to the Holly's Brunch Club podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a real honour. I really appreciate it. So thanks for inviting me along. No, no problem. Um, I want you to just uh, give everyone a kind of introduction to what you do. So you're a mortgage advisor. Correct. So I'm a mortgage and protection advisor, which means not only can I assist with probably the biggest purchase that any of us are going to make, but I can also ensure that you have the correct um, protection in place. So that can be your life insurance, your critical illness cover, and uh, your income protection and also for any of the ladies who might uh, be on the uh, Holly's Brunch Club that are business owners I can also look at relevant life as well Um, so that's life insurance that you can put through your business and uh, expense through your business rather than putting on your personal account. Oh that's really interesting I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah you need to be a limited company um, but for a lot of us um, it's either somewhere that you know once you've been a sole trader for a little while you will look to go limited um but anything that you can run through the business is obviously always better than uh, coming out of your personal account so it's definitely something that maybe some of the ladies uh would possibly want to look into so I'm there to help if they need that yeah definitely um when I asked everybody if they had any questions for you there was loads and loads of questions so I've kind of like (laughs) distilled them down to a few um a few like bits and pieces but um the first question is um what are the government schemes to help first-time buyers so there are uh, lots of different ones and um some of them aren't just related to first-time buyers either um so you have got your help to buy scheme um which is where you can um get a 20 25% equity loan from the government which after 5 years you will start to pay interest on um and actually uh, there are a lot of people that potentially don't need to do that um so it's always worth looking at whether these schemes are the right thing to do also uh, just because they're out there doesn't mean Uh, I would necessarily suggest them. So it's a good idea to speak with a broker and an advisor to discuss whether it's the appropriate thing for yourself. Uh, You've also got shared ownership. So that means uh, you wouldn't be buying all of the house. You'd be buying a share of that house. Uh, That usually starts as a minimum of 25%. But if, like myself, you live in a rather affluent area and getting on the property ladder there otherwise maybe on your own would be difficult it's something that you can look at um with the shared ownership as well you can increase those shares so you can go up to 100 percent and then become on a on a normal residential mortgage so for instance you might be in your early 20s and uh your wages aren't probably what they're going to be maybe as and when you approach your 40s hopefully you'll be on more money by that point um and at that point you could look to increase what you're borrowing um, so a lot of people have a negative viewpoint on that, but I think that's purely because uh, they're maybe not necessarily um, fully advised on that area. So it's maybe more naivety or lack of knowledge that's putting them off, um, which is the same for everything, in all honesty. So it might be an idea, again, if that's something you're wanting to consider to speak with an advisor. Um 
first time buyers also are entitled at the moment um to uh free stamp duty land tax so it's a it's a bit of an incentive really that um your first property up to a certain value you wouldn't pay that stamp duty land tax um so it's definitely an incentive i wouldn't say it's a buying incentive in the sense of it's something the lenders give you it's just a government entitlement um and I'm sure there are others, but I won't bore you with too much on one subject. Uh, what I would say is everybody's circumstances are individual and it's always best to talk to an advisor. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's quite confusing for like because there's so many options. Um, a few um, of the girls were um, a bit concerned about how um, student loans can affect um, mortgage applications. So student loans, uh, the main thing is, obviously, you don't always pay that back. Depending on the level of income that you have, it uh, depends on how much, if you will, or if you won't be paying anything back anyway. Um, if you are doing um, and you're employed, that will be on your wage slip. And it is something that the lenders will take into consideration. Um and again, it's age dependent because at a certain point, I think that cuts off, doesn't it? I didn't actually go to university myself, so I'm not too clued up on it. So I wouldn't know the exact age, but it does it kind of get wiped away so you wouldn't have to pay it. So it does get con- taken into consideration like any other commitment would be. Um, but because it's, um, for want of a better phrase, like a bit of a flexible thing, um, it, it doesn't have too much of a negative effect on it. I've not had anybody uh, declined because they've had a student loan, put it that way. Yeah, um, well, there's also, like one of the girls asked, um, which might negatively affect it, is your credit history. Yeah, so whenever I speak to my clients, um, even if it's just a getting to know you sort of conversation, the three areas that I would always cover off are affordability, so do you have enough surplus incoming, uh, sorry, enough surplus after, uh, out of your incomings to cover a mortgage? So we take into consideration any committed expenditure. So by committed, I mean things like your council tax, your gas, your electricity, etc. Things that regardless of anything, you're always going to have to pay. Things like yeah. Sky, the gym, going for your nails, they're all non-committed and you could give them up if you needed to. Um, so affordability is the main crash in 2008 prior to that you could probably get a mortgage regardless whereas now they want to know that you can afford it you'll need a deposit because there are no such things as 100% mortgages anymore Um, and that's become a little bit more strict during this um, coronavirus because the lenders are a little bit more hesitant to give money when they're not sure whether people will be going back to work, whether they um, will have a, a job for a very long time after. It might be that the industry you work in suffers. Um, so a deposit is likely to be at least a minimum of a 10% at the moment. And um, yeah, the last thing that's most important, well, one of the three main things is your credit history. So if you've ever gone on to Experian or Equifax or Credit Karma, you'll know that you get a, a report. Now, it's more important that we know what's on the report, not the actual figure. Because if you've looked at all three, you'll see that they all have a different top number. So the numbers kind of 
uh, irrelevant. It, it, we can't quantify it. It's actually what's in that report that's really important. That tells me, have you paid your bills on time? That tells me, have you gone up to the max of your credit card limit? That tells me basically how you've conducted yourself in the last six years. Um, so, yes, it's important that I would say on an experience report, you have a good to excellent score. Um, but again, if there's a reason that something happened, this is why I would advise you to go to an advisor because we can find out what it was that you know caused the blip or what have you, and we can speak to the lender and explain that to them. If you were going to them directly, you don't necessarily get that opportunity to do that. They will just look at you as you um, as you are, and they're not going to ask the same questions that they would ask us um, because we're there to basically paint the best financial picture of you possibly yeah yeah it's um I guess it's difficult for like certain situations to get a mortgage and and one of the girls said um she's a a first-time buyer who's self-employed but also for less than a year so right yeah so if it's less than a year there's no way of me proving that um or um giving evidence of that income so it's it's really difficult and the sad part is if you'd worked for a company for less than a year you would get a mortgage because they'd be proof you'd have your wage so it's potentially a p6 day depending on you know what period of time you'd worked um however if you're if you're self-employed and you've uh, been trading for less than a year unfortunately there is no way of us evidencing that um and at the moment one year's accounts is proving rather difficult especially if you're at the high loan to values um so i would say complete that year uh make sure that your accountant is putting everything through so that you i mean that's what they should be doing but you need the highest figure on there possible to borrow against so what an accountant's job is to do is to ensure that you pay as little tax as possible however that means we're not putting through enough on your um sa302 most of the time and that's important because you can't borrow against something that doesn't exist so advice to um to the lady that's asked that question get that first year's accounts done get saving for your deposit and um fingers crossed in the next few months things will start to loosen up a little bit obviously it's still really um unusual times and we're all just a little bit unsure about what might happen going forwards so the lenders are obviously sort of dealing with that as well and playing on the um, on the edge of caution so she needs to get that year's account so yeah definitely I mean it's so difficult when you've when you're self-employed really to like get on the property ladder just because you don't have all the like uh information to back you up I guess yeah yeah. it's because it's only done once a year isn't it whereas if you're employed you get a wage slip every month You get, um, you know, potentially um, the additional evidence, as I said, the P60, whereas when you're self-employed, it's just one document each year. So that's all there is to go off, unfortunately. And it tends to be that most self-employed people are, and I know I'm stereotyping here, but generally better with their money. They tend to um, make sure that, you know, they have the money set aside for the tax bill. They have... um, money set aside in case of um a dip in business and um 
that means that you know you're generally prepared a little bit more than maybe an employed person was because we as Brits see that as a more secure way of working but that's not necessarily the case if you work less uh, for less than two years for a company you're only entitled to a week's notice anyway so it's not necessarily more secure than a self-employed position yeah definitely um I uh yeah, I'm self-employed and I did find it quite tricky, um, you know, getting all the like documents ready yeah. for, for a mortgage. But um, uh, one of the girls has asked, um, how do buy-to-let mortgages differ and how would you go about changing from, you know, just a standard mortgage to a buy-to-let? So buy-to-let mortgage is literally that. You're buying it to let it out. Um, and the difference from sort of the initial go point are that the lenders will want a minimum of 25% deposit. Um, some of them are wanting more at the moment because of the risk of, you know, if you bought a property this week, for instance, we might go back into another lockdown. Will you be able to rent that property out, etc.? Um, they are more expensive, generally speaking, in the terms of um, there'll be a higher interest rate because, um, I mean, most of us would absolutely worship our house. You know, if it's our own residential property, we're going to look after it. We're going to make sure that, you know, nothing goes wrong with it or if it does, we get it fixed. Whereas, um, and again, hating to stereotype, but people in rented don't always do that. And there is evidence of that because it's not their property. Um, they might not really care if something gets damaged or um, things don't go right for them or, you know, there are more damages done to a, resident, um, a let out property than there are to your own properties. So because of that and because of the fact that the property could be empty at some point, the lenders do what they call a stress test on the mortgage. So that means they'll expect you to take around 45 to 50% more than what your mortgage payments are. So if you were paying £100 for your mortgage, they would expect you to be taking £150 from the rent to cover any empty periods of the property. Um, so a bit of a whistle-stop tour of a buy-to-let, I suppose. Um, and if you were looking to transfer from a residential mortgage to a buy-to-let mortgage you could either do that by um, contacting your mortgage um, lender or you could speak to an advisor and they could search the market to find the right product for you um, what I find a lot of is oh you can't do that and and people will say to one another you can't do that um, my, lender, my lender wouldn't do it and it's a case of well your lender wouldn't but there are hundreds of lenders out there. So that's not a, you know, it's, it's just not possible to say that that isn't possible because it might just be that, let's say, for instance, NatWest wouldn't let you do that, but Barclays would. And that's why an advisor is in a good position to be able to assist you because they can find that information out for you. Um, Barclays aren't going to turn around and say, we don't, but guess what Santander do? Because that's not in their best interest. Um, yeah. so when people go direct to their own bank you are literally getting their set of rules their criteria and it's not in their interest like I say for them to tell you who does it and who doesn't that's what advisors are there to do we know what and who and why and, and all those bits and bobs uh, in order to get you the best um, 
product, as we call them, out there. Um, and if you do want to maybe test the waters, I'm not sure on the, the, the lady's situation, but perhaps she's thinking of moving in with her partner and therefore renting out her property. She could do what they call consent to let. So you go to your lender and you ask them if you can rent the property out. What they'd normally do is add 1% to your mortgage interest rate. So you'll be paying a little bit more. Um, if then, for instance, it's worked out for her and, and she's done like, let's say a year, she could then look to do the buy to let. So it kind of lets you dip your toe in a little bit. Um, do not rent out your property without the, the lender's consent because they have departments who will be looking on Rightmove, who will be searching all the other sites that are out there. And if they find out that you've rented out the property, they can add a 2% loading onto your interest rate. So it's really not worth just risking it. Um, and most lenders will allow you to do the consent to let. So it's, it's, it's worth it. It's, it's in your interest to make sure you're doing things correctly. Who would want to be uh, down as someone who's committed mortgage fraud at the end of the day? It's not, it's not worth it. Um, so, yeah, like I say, a whistle-stop tour of going from residential to buy to let and sort of the background information that you might need. Yeah, no, it's it's a bit of a like complicated process if you don't know, um, you know, what you're doing. So, yeah, definitely a like coming to you would be a like would be a um, a massive help. I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, you're a dentist, Hal. I could never just rock up in a white coat, um, put someone on a chair, and start performing dentistry. I wouldn't have a clue um i could probably hurt someone cause them some long-term damage now obviously as a mortgage advisor i couldn't potentially physically hurt them but i could do them some serious long-term damage if i didn't know what i was doing and what i'm trying to say with that is that we all specialize in our own areas of work we all have our expertise and we all pay for that service whether it be you know through yourself for an nhs dentist um or whether you decide to go private or a decorator, for instance, all these people have those jobs because it requires a certain skill set to be able to do it and to do it well. Um, so I know there's a lot of um, and it may be one of the questions that come up that, um, you know, why do we charge a fee? We charge a fee because we're doing a lot of legwork. Your direct lender, your bank potentially only has to look at a list of maybe three or four products that might be appropriate for you. We have to look at the whole of the market in order to be able to find what is right for you. Um, so it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of knowledge. It takes um, at least a year's worth of exams to be able to get qualified to the level I'm at. And then after that, it's quite similar to um, a new an NQT, so a newly qualified teacher, in the fact that you have to have everything that you do fully observed um, and marked off as 100 percent uh correct for the first six to 12 months for the role um so it's not just something you go online take a couple of exams and that's it uh, and because the lenders criteria because the government's uh, legislation changes constantly we have to be moving with the times so yeah i would say you've hit the nail on the head head there holly that you do want someone who knows what they're doing rather than you know, thinking that you could maybe just do a Google search. We've actually done some research in our team recently um, where we went on to Martin Lewis's Money uh, Supermarket uh, website and filled in the questions they asked whether we could get a mortgage or not. And 
it didn't ask anything about the criteria so it came back and said yes but the sort of the person we'd thought of wouldn't have got that mortgage um, because it wasn't actually specific to them so all that does is send you through to an advisor so you you know it's possible to have a look and get a general idea but for most of us we're probably only going to go through this process what maybe once twice three times in your life you don't buy a house every week it's not something that you get used to doing like we go to the supermarket every week or we fuel our car every week it's something that you're only going to do a few times in your entire lifetime so it's not something you can necessarily get familiar with or good at whereas obviously for me that is something I'm doing every day or every week so I would definitely back what you're saying there and and actually Martin Lewis himself said it in the media last week you know come to an advisor because they actually know what they're talking about and they can give you the help so yes I do charge a fee but it's worth that fee because you're gonna get the help that you need yeah definitely I think for the value of of going to an advisor like you would save hundreds of pounds yeah overall yeah Yeah. overall definitely and there are advisors out there who don't charge a fee and that's absolutely fine because we do get a small introductory fee from the lenders however it doesn't cover the work at the level that you would want I have had a client who came to me a couple of weeks ago and I think I was the fifth advisor she'd spoken to she'd got so far with some of them and she was having to ring them, email them, chase them to get anywhere with them. And yeah. there were advisors that were only taking the introductory fee from the lender. And that was why, because they're almost being paid absolute. Well, it probably works out at national minimum wage to do something that requires a lot of um, knowledge. And they're not really wanting to then go out of the way. Whereas within the space of a week, I'd already got her application submitted. So not just trying to focus on the area of work I do, but you do get what you pay for. And I think we all know that. Um, buy, buy cheap, buy twice. You know, there's all sorts of sayings that go along with it, but it is very, very true. None of my clients have to chase me. I'm the one that's proactively getting in touch with them. And that's how it should be. We should be the one that is holding your hand and leading you to that process of getting those keys or getting that cheaper um, deal so, yeah, I would definitely say it's always worth um, seeking the advice. And if and the chances are if they don't want to take a fee um, or they don't charge a fee, then be prepared to, for you to do all the legwork, really. Yeah, and I guess, like, if you have a, a good mortgage advisor, then further down the line you can, like, go to them and ask about things. Like, one of, one of the girls was asking about, um remortgaging and making overpayments you know like yeah all of these things like nobody really especially like overpayments they don't know whether it's a, like a good idea or not I guess or whether it's even possible because not yeah. all mortgages allow it but the majority do now and if you can overpay I would always say do um you can either do it via talking to the lender directly and setting up a direct debit with them they'll just you know top it up on your normal mortgage or what i always suggest people do is if they're wanting to do that set it up as a standing order yourself so that you know maybe when it gets to november december and you're thinking actually i don't want to make that overpayment you're in control of it you can just cancel that standing order and set it back up again when you want to most 
lenders, most mortgages allow for a 10% overpayment. So always check how much that is with the lender because if you do go over that, you might uh, incur what we call early repayment charges. So that's like a penalty for paying over what you should, uh, what you're allowed to do. Um, so making overpayments in general is definitely a good idea because you can either reduce the term, so how long your mortgage is taken out over, um, or you could reduce the amount that you pay each month. It's just a really good idea to make sure that um, you're in control of it. Like the last thing you would want is to think, oh, I can't afford it really this month, but I don't have the time to ring the, the lender. Chances are you can just uh, change it on your online banking yourself if you've got it up as a, set up as a standing order. Or maybe just set them up as a payee. And if you've had a good month or you've, you know, like now, for instance, anybody that's already got a mortgage, you're probably finding that, you know, you're not traveling as much. So you might have, you know, some extra money there. There's all sorts of things. But I would always say be in control of that yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's quite nice if you can make overpayments to see your, your term reduce. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And it's a really nice feeling, I think, just knowing that, you know, you've taken um, control of that situation. One thing I would actually just say is that actually, potentially, if you can make a huge overpayment, um, then... And, and, that, and that's straight away. Did you actually ever have the right payment set up? You know, could you have reduced the term straight away? Um, and in which case, then you probably should have done. There's no need to um, go for a 35 year long term if you don't need to. Do you know what I mean? Like, probably, yeah. I would say from from what I've got from the group, we're all relatively young, um, probably under 40, I would say. So time's on our side and we are probably likely to be able to get a 35, 40 year mortgage. But just because you can doesn't mean you should because you're ultimately dragging out the interest over that period of time. So if you can afford a little bit more, have that discussion with your advisor and they'll, generally speaking, have um, a system or a calculator, if you will, that can allow that um, sort of to be played about with. So you can find the right term for you. I've had clients who, you know, initially we thought we were going to go for a 35-year term, but actually we've ended up going for something like a 27-year term because they can totally afford that payment. And actually, it means they'll be paid off a lot sooner. And you can extend your term, you know, you can change all these things about nothing set in stone. Um, but I'd rather have my mortgage paid off in 27 years than 35 I want, I want to go yeah. and do stuff when I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think um, it's it's kind of like, um, I guess, a bit confusing for me um, about, like, can you tell us a bit more about remortgaging? And yeah, what that is of about? course. So um, I remember when I was younger, like the, the term, oh, you'd have to remortgage your house, got banded about loads, about like sort of, you know, if you needed money or like um, if something was expensive, they'd be like, oh, I'd have to remortgage the house to do that. And I was like, I don't actually know what that means. Um, like, it, I know it's referring to say something's expensive, but it never put it into context for me, basically. Um, so it probably wasn't until I started working in financial services that I even understood a lot of these terms. 
So what remortgaging means is that um, you are ultimately going on to either a new product or with a new lender. So let's give the example of being on a five-year fixed, for instance, which is generally speaking what most first-time buyers tend to do so that they can get used to what they're paying out, you know, they get a good vibe and, and understanding of all those bills that become associated with being a homeowner. Because even if you've rented previously, there are a few additional things that you're going to be paying out. So you get to the end of that five years and um, you could either drop onto the variable rate, which at the moment, obviously with um, COVID-19, isn't too bad, to be honest with you, but then it can shoot up. So that would mean every, um, every time the Bank of England base rate changes, so would how much your pay in change. So it's not really in your best interest rate, best interest to ever drop onto the variable rate unless it's your intention to do so because, I don't know, maybe you're thinking of buying. Let's say, for instance, you were buying a house and your the end of your fixed rate finished next month. Well, it wouldn't be worthwhile fixing into a product because you'd have early repayment charges to pay. So it'd just be worth staying on the variable rate for a couple of months whilst you bought, you bought your next house. Um, so when you remortgage um, with an advisor, we will look at the whole of the market. We will see which lenders are going to give you the best rates, how much it will cost, more importantly, over the next two, three, five years. Because sometimes I'll get the question like, oh, um, Serena, you've given me, I don't know, the Santander 1.74%. But I could see that Barclays had a 1.14% product. Why have you not given me that? Well, the Barclays product had a £1,500 product fee. And actually, overall, it meant you were paying more money over the two years, for instance. So I'm going to go out there and find that information for you. And generally speaking, we don't come back and tell you that unless you ask us the questions, because our job is ultimately to find the right and best deal for you. So when you remortgage, you're then committing to new payment terms, generally speaking. So it would probably, and I say probably only because that's been the case for the last few years, probably mean you're on a lower interest rate. So ultimately you're paying less each month. Um, it could be that you stay with that provider and we do what we call a product transfer. So you go from the product you're on to a different product. Um, ultimately, the aim of the game, though, when you remortgage is to get the best deal possible for you. It could be that um, you're now in a position that you need to extend your property. So you might want to do additional borrowing. Um, it could be that, you know, you've um, accrued some debt over the last year, last few years. So you need to do some debt consolidation. There's all sorts of different things that you can do when you do your remortgage. As we mentioned before, it might be that you need to extend or reduce your term. Um, it might be that you want to move from what we call capital and interest to interest only or vice versa. There's all sorts of different things you can do as part of a remortgage. But ultimately, it's just re-securing that borrowing. Yeah. So you can get like more for, say, like you say, if you need an, to do an extension or, or you want to. Um, yeah. Just get some extra money. For yeah. That. Yeah. Um, so... The last question is, one of the girls was wondering, what is the process? So say you've got your house and your mortgage, but you want to move house. How does that all work with your mortgage? So most lenders now and most products allow for you to port them. So there's portability put within that. 
So that would be um, like picking up your mortgage and moving it onto the new property. You might need to do some additional borrowing to allow that to happen because the newer property, um, chances are at our age, is going to be a bigger property, for instance. Um, so you might need to borrow a little bit more. And like I say, most lenders will allow that to happen. But it's always best to talk to an advisor, as I keep referring to, because we will check if that's the right thing to do. You might have an early repayment charge that if you were to move to a different lender would mean you've got to pay that. It might be that um, you were going to be paying a lot more though with your current lender and that their additional borrowing products weren't cost effective. So we'll look at all of those things. Um, we have calculators available to tell us whether it's you know cost effective to absorb that early repayment charge. But like I say, most uh, lenders will allow you to pick up your mortgage and move it to a new property. However, you could just remortgage and um, buy, buy an additional property. So we'd basically redeem with your current lender and then get a new mortgage. So it's kind of like a very, very complex version of um, when people do balance transfers with credit cards. Just really, yeah. really complicated version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, thank you for like dispelling some myths and, you know, like giving us a bit of a clearer overview than we had before. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> It is a complicated subject. Definitely. But so is yours. What you do is none of us can do sort of a million different things. We're not a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. We tend to be a master of the one that we do. And um, it's really important that you, you go to someone that specialises in that area and not just your mate who thinks, I bought a couple of houses, I can help you. Um, one thing I would uh, say is if any of the girls want my help, um, I'm sure Holly's more than willing to pass on my details. I have already spoken with several of the girls and helped them with sort of getting their ducks in a row so that when uh, they're in a position to be able to buy, that, you know, they know exactly what it is they need. Um, Holly, you've hit the nail on the head. It is a really complicated process. And that's why um, it's always a good idea to speak to, to someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you very much for all of your advice it's been amazing <laughs> <laughs> and i'll um i'll definitely pass on your details and put them in the um like the little bio bit underneath the or whatever it's called <laughs> underneath <laughs> the um uh, spotify and um itunes like listed so yeah send me the uh, details that you need <laughs> not a problem great Okay. Thank you so much, Holly. Take care. Have a lovely day. You too. See Bye. you. Bye. Bye.